And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A very well-known, famous violinist commissioned a violin maker to make a, a very specifically described and to a very distinct specification. So on delivery day, the violinist returned to take delivery of that instrument that he authorized with certain specifications. Taking that new violin to his hand, he skillfully drew the bow across the strings. Then all of a sudden, he became disappointed, and that disappointment swept on his face and major, major problem with the violin. The quality of tone that the violinist was eagerly anticipating was far from acceptable. Not to add insult to injury, obviously this famous violinist was not as gracious as Daniel, our violinist, but he took that violin, lifting it over his head, this newly constructed violin, and he smashed it on the table. Then he paid the maker, they agreed upon price, and then he walked away. Fast forward 12 months later, the same violinist decided to go to that workshop and just look around once again. And as he looked over the ones on the wall or the ones on the table and, and, and looked at the, one, the violins that are for sale and, and, and he found this unusual violin, so he picks it up again, took it to his hand, and he drew the bow again, uh, again uh, uh, and across the strings. And, but this time, he was absolutely charmed. He was elated at, 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 the, at the sound and the tone, the ravishing beauty of that tone that it began to produce. So when he inquired of the maker regarding this particular violin, to his utter astonishment and amazement, he discovered that this was the same violin that he smashed to pieces only 12 months earlier. What happened? He asked the violin maker. And the violin maker explained to him that he painstakingly gathered the pieces of the shattered violin and skillfully assembled it together thus turning the broken violin into an instrument of beauty, a brilliant tone. The sound was so magnificent that it gained the approval even of this most exacting artist's ear. My beloved friends, there are times in all of our lives when sin and pride and self-sufficiency brings us broken, brokenness. There are times in all of our lives when our stubbornness and the stiff-neckedness bring about brokenness in our life. And when that brokenness comes in, which comes to all of us, 
We can go either of two ways. Brokenness can make us better or bitter. Brokenness can make us more stubborn or lead us to a genuine repentance. Uh, Brokenness can either humble us or blind us. Brokenness can either bend us or break us. Brokenness can either restore us or add resentment. I've lived long enough, ministered long enough to see the work of brokenness in both ways. Now, I can testify to you personally that brokenness, when it's handed to the hands of our awesome God, we would have nothing to dread. Brokenness, when it's surrendered to the Redeemer, He will fully restore us. Brokenness, when it is handed to the great restorer, can bring us inexplicable blessings. This brokenness, when it is handed to the great remolder and remaker, he can give us joy unspeakable out of that brokenness. The shattered pieces of our lives can be remade better by our master's hand. The shattered dreams in life can only be reassembled a far better use in the hand of the dream giver. Can I get an amen? In the last message, I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand if you're here, but if you remember, and if you weren't here and you haven't heard the message, please go and download it from apostles.org. You need to follow with me. But in the last message, we left David in the town of Ziklag that was given to him by King Achish of Philistine. Ziklag, as I told you, is a place of compromise for any of us. And your ziklag and my ziklag, I said, is totally different. But it is nonetheless, for all of us, it is the place of compromise. It is the place of idolatry. It is the place of disobedience. It is the place of ignoring the will of God. It is, ziklag is the place of do-it-yourself Christianity. Ziklag is the place of self-improvising. Ziklag is the place of uh, distrusting of God's plan for our life. And there in Ziklag, David has hit rock bottom. (laughs) Beloved, listen to me. Only when your heart is bent toward God, you know when you hit rock bottom. I know when I hit rock bottom. And I've hit rock bottom a few times. In 1 Samuel chapter 29, when you go home, please do yourself a favor and read it. I'm going to give you a summary of it. Because it follows on. But in 1 Samuel 29, the the chapter before the one that David read this morning, you will see that David actually has gone so low that he wanted to join the Philistine army to fight against the people of God, Israel, his people. That is what you call really rock bottom. But God so graciously protected him from that bottomless pit. God so graciously provided a way of escape from the hour of temptation. God graciously ordered David's steps uh, as he himself would write 
later in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of the godly man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast out, for the Lord upholds him with his own hand. God, so gracious that he delivered David from the stupidity, from that foolishness, so much so that he could write about this time in Psalm 18, 4 and 5, the cords of death entangled me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of the grave coiled around me, and the snare of death confronted me. Please listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you because it is relevant to every single person at the sound of my voice, whether you're here or watching around the world right now live. While the Lord delivered David from this horrible hour of betrayal and treason, yet as often the case, the consequences, the scars last for a long time. But even, listen carefully, but even but even in the consequences of our doing, God often used this brokenness to wake us up to his gracious hand. Please listen to me. Had David come back from that great deliverance that God provided him, had he come back and found Ziklag, his hometown, intact, he would most likely have thought, Oh, boy, <laughs> that was a close call, Whew. and then gone to bed. Most likely, we'd have thought, oh, boy, I nearly got into a deep trouble that I could never have gotten myself out. How can I volunteer to serve in the army of the Philistine against the people of God? And then he would have conducted business as usual. After these Philistine generals, when they saw that their king is inviting David, when David volunteered to fight with them against Israel, when these generals said, no, 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 we can't trust him. He will we'll go into battle. He could turn on against us. But this is God's way of delivering David. Isn't that amazing? He can use our enemies to deliver us. Do you get this? It, I, I, I spent hours just thinking about this this week. So they send him home. So we can't trust you. Go home. So David comes home to Ziklag, and they find the city is burned down to the ground, and the wives and the children all taken into captivities by the enemies. Parents, can I say something to you, please? And listen to me. Whenever I speak about parenting, I speak as a father who has made many, many mistakes. Now, this is not just something nice a pastor says. It's not nice. It's not something just the pastor says. I know I made many mistakes, and God is so gracious, he overruled them all. That's why I'm trying now to do the right thing by my ten grandchildren. I'm going to correct some of these things. But when I speak to you as a, as, a, as a parent, I want to speak to you from my heart. And I want you to listen carefully because God is the one who's parenting us. 
and I always look at the role model. Somebody asked me when the young, young couples would come and would talk to me, say, what book do you use or what book did you use when your kids were young? And I said, well, it's only one book. <laughs> I only have one book. Dr. Smilfungus, I don't care who he is. <laughs> he can't teach me any more than what my heavenly father can teach me from his word. Amen. <laughs> God parents us. And I want to tell you that giving everything to our children all the time will deprive them of a sense of responsibility. When parents are so quick to forgive their children all the time without admission and without confession, without repentance, they will prevent them from learning the consequences of their actions. Can I get an amen? amen? Beloved, the same thing is true for church, any church. I don't care what church it is. A church, any church that preaches cheap grace without confession, without repentance, will end up being a club for carnal Christians. Christians who refuse to acknowledge their sin and their shortcomings and repent of them, they will never experience a deeper walk with God. They will end up living in the shallow end of the Christian life. They will end up staying at the surface of the spiritual walk. Look at what happened with David, the man whose God, whose heart after God's heart. Just look at him. When he began to compromise and got to Ziklag, left Israel and went to the land of the Philistines, he stopped fully trusting in God. He began to trust in his own clever strategy. He began to trust in his own scheming and maneuvering and manipulating. And when he started doing this, guess what? Everything went south for him. <laughs> it just went south. Somebody would say, well, Michael, 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 uh, David did not live in the age of grace. He did not live in the New Testament. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. The 21st century fallacy, which is really not new, it goes back to second century, that it says that the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. This, my beloved friends, is a danger that can only lead to a disaster for the church of Jesus Christ. We do not have two gods, a God of the Old Testament, a God of the New Testament. We do not have two books. We do not have two sets of ethics. For those who say that the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament because the God of the Old Testament is the God of the law and the God of the New Testament is the God of grace, I want you to ask them the following questions. You ready? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give you homework. Go and ask them the following questions. Was Abraham saved by grace or by the law? Grace, God bless you. The law had not been given. It was given 400 years later. God always saves by grace. In the Old or the New Testament. And here, I want you to see it right here, right here. 1,000 years before Christ, the son of David. Here, David's life, we see God's grace on display over and over and over again. Beloved, God never stopped loving David even when he went to Ziklag. 
God never stopped loving David even when he cheated and lied. God never stopped loving David even when he lived in fear and unfaithfulness and distrust of God. You have to understand, the love of God is constant. The love of God is unchanging. The love of God is persisting. The love of God is pursuing. The love of God is enduring. The love of God is not dependent on our failure or success. Amen. Amen. In fact, it's out of deep love for us that God instructs us. He rebukes us. He disciplines us. He chastises us. That is all the mark of His love God loves us too much to leave us to live in sin, in foolishness. You see, part of loving us is when He allowed the natural consequences of our sin and our failure to be a reminder for us of His love. The natural consequences of our inclination to rebel against His Word is to be His way of waking us up from our stupor. The natural consequences of our loving us is that when we love the world system more than we love Him, He tries to sound the alarm bell. Come back. Come back. I think we all know the choices have consequences. Can you say that with me? Choices have consequences. I wish we hang that on every classroom, in every school. But even in the consequences, God demonstrates His love for us. God delivered David from the consequences of wanting to join the enemies of God and fight against God's people, but the burning of Ziklag and the pillaging and the kidnapping of the women and the children were the natural consequences of the wrong things that David has been doing for over a year. Here you see it clearly. God uses the natural consequences of David's sin to get his attention. I love you too much to let you go. That's what the Bible talks about, God being a zealous God. It's not mean angry God. No. He loves us too much. He doesn't want to lose us to the enemy. He, wants, he doesn't want to lose us to somebody else, to the devil. To be sure, David's heart was broken when he saw Ziklag burning, burnt, and the kids and wives taken captives. So they wept. He and the 600 men sat there, and they wept, and they wept, and they wept until the Bible said they had no more strength to weep. But, beloved, listen to me. It is only in brokenness that God would begin to do His restorative work in us. It's only in that brokenness that God began to restore David to what he can be and will be. 
But the theme of brokenness and the blessing that comes from that brokenness is a, is a, is a dominant theme in the Bible. Did you know that? For it was in the breaking of Jacob's natural strength at Penel that God put him together again and renew him, and he no longer is Jacob, but now he's Israel. It was in the breaking of the rock in Horeb uh, that the water gushed forth and fed the people. It was when the 300 chosen men of Gideon broke their pitchers as a symbol of breaking of oneself that victory became possible. It is in the breaking of the five loaves and two fishes that Jesus was able to feed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. That's when Mary broke her alabaster box and anointed the feet of Jesus, that the aroma of her life blessed millions of people. But above all, it was when the Lord Jesus Christ Himself allowed His body to be broken on the cross, that redemption poured forth. And because of that broken body, sinners like you and sinners like me can be eternally saved and delivered from sin and the consequences of sin. Oh, yes. God uses brokenness. Don't you ever listen to anybody else who said, oh, it's too late for you. No. God uses brokenness. Yes, God restores brokenness if you let Him. If you let Him. Beloved, you can bring your brokenness to Him right now. Only you know where you are. I don't. God knows. You do. Bring your brokenness to Him. Hand it to Him and watch what He can do for you in restoring you. I know. I've been there. But listen, the world will never, never, never understand the concept of the blessings that comes out of brokenness. They'll never understand it because, see, the world, to them, brokenness and humility are synonymous with being doormats. Did you know that? How wrong they are. How wrong they are. A few years ago, I read about a man who wrote a book called Cower Power. Well, he founded an organization. He called it, it's Meek People. That's the name of the organization. Of course, he's using the wrong meaning of the word meek because what he means by it, what the Bible means by it, two different things I'm going to show you in a minute. But here's what he called his organization. He called it DOMATS. It's an acronym. It's an acronym for Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls. That's the acronym. And he said that the meek shall inherit the earth if it's okay with everybody. And their symbol was a yellow traffic light. I think this how many of these anti-God organizations, and more of them are rising every day, so many of these anti-God organizations, that's really how they want Christians to be. <laughs> that's how they really want Christians to be. They want them to be doormats. 
They want them to be silent and never take a stand. They want them to never be willing to vocalize and express their godly, given, God-given biblical worldview in the marketplace. They just want us to shut up and go away so that they can run the country. When we speak up, they call us all sorts of names, and they walk all over us because they don't understand that the biblical definition of meek, it means strength, but it's under control. We don't riot. We don't steal. We don't create havoc. No, 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 no. We go on our knees. Strength under control. And we can have greater victory than all the rioting and all the misery and all the protesting in the world. In fact, I can tell you categorically that only those who have been broken by sin and restored by the living God have the courage to call sin, sin, regardless of who commits it. And beloved, I've got to tell you, I call sin, sin in my life before I ever point finger on anybody else. We're making good progress. Now I come to verses 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel 30. <laughs> We're doing well, right? David returns from being delivered from this temptation to betrayal and deception and treason to find his little town of Ziklag burnt to the ground. The Amalekites came, and they burnt the city, took the women and the children captive. Question, what would David do? You heard the thing, what would Jesus do? What would David do? Well, it depends on which David. It depends on which David. Is the David before restoration or the David after restoration? <laughs> you see, the David before restorations, he would have probably spun to action. Or he could would do what he did before, sat there and well out in his discouragement, you remember? And war discouragement like a blanket. We saw that in the past and led him in the worst situation. But instead, now the restored David became broken before God. And my beloved friend, listen to me. When your heart is after God, you will know when you hit bottom. When your heart is after God, you will recognize your inadequacy and turn to Him. Verse 4. David and his men wept until they had no more strength to weep. Beloved, I want you to listen to me very carefully because these are not crocodile tears. I've seen crocodile tears through the years. These are not crocodile tears. These were the tears of repentance. These truly were the tears of regret. These were the tears of brokenness before God. You say, Michael, how do you know that? I'm going to show it to you from the Word of God. Now, that's not my opinion because my opinion counts for nothing. In fact, I read not long ago that in ancient Greece, uh, near the ancient uh, Parthenon in Athens, stood there an altar dedicated to tears. No sacrifices offered to the gods, no, uh, no, no offerings to the gods on that altar. That altar was just dedicated simply for the distressed individuals to come and, and, and weep and weep and weep and get a release from their woes, except they, they couldn't get much of a release. It's a temporary thing. Temporary. 
release of their pent-up emotions, but can never give them permanent release. Because without repentance, there can be no healing or restoration, and only Jesus can give you both. David not only wept, but verse 6, you see him genuinely distressed. The men wanted to stone him, and they were bitter in their soul because of the loss of their wives, children, and possessions. Look at this with me. Look with me. Look with me. If you have your Bibles open, I want you to look. But David strengthened himself where? In the Lord. Well, someone may ask, well, Michael, how do you know that David's tears were not crocodile tears? I'm going to show it to you two things from the Scripture. First of all, right here in verse 6, he strengthened himself not in his scheme, not in his strategy, not in his plan, but where, with, strengthened himself where? In the Lord. And beloved, God loves to restore broken children. He loves to restore us and make us better servants, more effective for His kingdom, and put us to a good use for His work. But listen to me. Listen to me. I want to hammer this home until you get it. I pray that it will seep seep down in your heart and in your mind that it will never leave you because David now may have been out of God's will, but he's never out of God's love. David may have been out of God's leadership, but he's never out of God's protection. David may have been out of God's instruction, but he's never out of God's reach. David may have been in his own ziklag, but never out of God's sight. Let this biblical principle sink deep. Drink deeply from it. Beloved, this is a call for everyone who's tempted to compromise. This is a call for everyone who's tempted to wheel and deal without going to the Lord. This is a a, a call to everyone who's tempted to go it alone. God's eye is watching every step. God's hand is always stretched to you until you come back to the point of weeping Maybe even until you have no strength to weep anymore. God has not forsaken you. Listen to me. The Bible, when the Bible said God never leave you or forsake you as his child, it means he never will. And the second evidence of David's genuine repentance is that he went back to inquiring of the Lord. <laughs> He's been seeing this throughout the series. Every time he goes it alone, he messes up. Every time he goes and inquire of the Lord, the Lord answers him. So here he comes. That is the truest mark of true repentance. No longer is David speaking to himself. Remember from the last message? He said to himself, Remember I told you, we all self-talk, but when you get, start self-talking, involve the Holy Spirit in the conversation. I do all the time. I said, Holy Spirit, you dwell in me. You're my best friend. 
I don't want my thoughts to wander anywhere. I want them to be focused on you. And I get him involved in the conversation. He's no longer talking to himself. He's talking to the Lord. David no longer speaking in his heart. Now he's inquiring of the Lord. Verse 7. Indeed, it's a beautiful verse. If you have your own Bible, underline it. Verse 7. 1 Samuel 30. David said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. Bring me the ephod. And I explained to you the ephod is what the high priest wore. And had the Urim and the Thummim, the two stones. One would shine, yes, and the other one would shine if it's no. So now he's inquiring of the Lord. Solomon, his son, years later, could write in Proverbs 28, 13, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whosoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And nearly 2,000 years later, the apostle John could say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us how many of our sins? All our sins. Well, I know I gave you a little bit of a scare earlier when I told you I'm just starting in verses 1 and 2. But let me conclude. And I pray to God that not a single person who's hearing me would walk out and say, Willie, no, I'm I'm really not a bad person. (laughs) Don't do that. God is really fortunate even to have me. No, 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 no. (laughs) That will get you into trouble. It's a story that One of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon, a man who preached in the London Tabernacle, who is still there to this day, to 5,000 people without the PI system. God God used that man so uniquely. He left school at 15, but he read and taught himself Greek and Hebrew. It's a long, long story for those of you who don't know Charles Spurgeon. But he used to tell this story to illustrate the joy of confession and repentance and the blessings of confession and repentance. He said, a certain duke once boarded the galley of a ship. That's the bottom of the ship where normally the the prisoners are the ones who are doing the rowing. Always, that's the work of prisoners to get down the galley of the ship. And he decided to go down at the bottom of the ship at the galley and, and, and see all these prisoners. And he began to ask them, why are you here? And, 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 and what brought you here? Why are you a prisoner? Every one of them said, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. I am here but through injustice. Uh, they blamed somebody for being there for being prisoners. Uh, one guy said, well, it's a judge who was bribed and, 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 and sent me here. Another one said, well, uh, it's, it's, it's somebody else did this and I'm paying the price for him. And the cri- none of them confessed their crime except for one young man <laughs> who walked up to the duke and said, your highness, I am here because I'm guilty of stealing money and therefore I'm a prisoner because it's my fault of what I, the wrong I did. 
Upon hearing this, the duke called for the wardens, and he said, what is this scoundrel doing here with all these innocent, guiltless people? Get him out of here. (laughs) And the young man was set free at once. He experienced liberty, while the rest of them were tugging on the oars. Why? Because the prisoner's freedom came as a result of confession of guilt. Let me tell you what I often say, and I pray to God I will always say until, as long as I have a breath. As long as you have a breath, it is never too late. It is never too late. As long as you're breathing, it is never too late to confess your sins to God. It is never too late to confess you're running ahead of the Lord. It is never too late to repent of your self-will and stubbornness. It's never too late to acknowledge your impatience with God. It is never too late to forsake that controlling spirit. It's never too late to yield your desire to His desire. It is never too late to yield your will to His will. It's never too late to yield your mind to his mind. Never too late. In fact, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I pray that every single person will do some examination, heart examination. Lord, I need you. I desperately need you. Will you pray with me? Only you know where you are. Whether you're living in stubbornness and deliberate disobedience, or you've already been broken because of the natural consequences and you don't know what to do. Wherever you are, there is a God in heaven whose eye is on you, who's watching you. A God who loves you, and He's welcoming you. Take a moment, confess to Him whatever you need to confess in the privacy of your own heart and mind. So, Lord, I thank you for that open door. I thank you that I have not crossed over to the other side when the door is shut but I'm still here when the door is still open. Forgive me all my sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. Allow the natural consequences of my sin to wake me up so I can be restored. Father, I'm so grateful to you I'm so grateful to you that your word is not just a theory, but it can be testified to the truth of that word by thousands upon thousands. I thank you that I can testify to the fact that you are the God of the broken and you're the humble king. And your word said that broken and contrite heart God will not despise. Only the arrogant and the proud 
that God rejects. And so, Father, as we humble ourselves before you, allow the Holy Spirit to visit us afresh. Come to every trembling heart. Come to every confessing mind. Come to every bowed head and every bent knee and minister to us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now you can stand up and bless the Lord.